Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a... Amateur. I suppose. Amateur hour. Is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour. Is what's happening. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Yeah. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Come on. Uh-huh. This is a show about the Chiefs, the football team that plays in Kansas City. Friendship and fun and stats that you won't believe. AHPKC will begin shortly. Hey, hey. Hey, Dirk. Are you ready? Let's do this thing. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It's football time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, folks. It is Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall, and the man joining me today, as he does every week, his darkness. What's up? Dirk, daddy, fresh off the boat from Chi-Town, hanging out. With the one and only Daniel J. Parkins. How was your weekend, Dirk? The weekend was okay. Danny was good company as always. And he's going to ruin the Chiefs season uh, like like we have become accustomed to. Oh, yeah. uh, there's how, been nothing good that has happened with the Chiefs really since uh, I, I went to visit one Daniel Parkins. Other than they escaped with a win and Mahomes continues to wear his cape. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, the Chiefs on Sunday improved to what ten and two? Is that right? Ten and ten, 10 and two. Jan and Juice. Jan and Juice. Oh, okay. I don't think that's how the song goes, but all right. No, that's it. That's the Jan and Juice song. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to start with this stat, and it's the only like real stat that I have today, but it's topical because the Chiefs play the Raiders on Sunday, um, and then later that evening. We saw the Chargers with a major come-from-behind win on the road at the Pittsburgh Steelers. So um, the Chiefs have four games left in the season, um, and two of those four are against the Raiders and the Chargers. Um, Chiefs on Sunday beat the Raiders, what was it, 40-33? to 33? Yep. All right, so 40-33 to 33 was the Chiefs-Raiders game in Oakland. Um, the Chargers and Raiders have already played twice this year, and um, the total score of the two games was 42 to 32. Chargers, huh? So, you're, you're Chargers. Did, were you impressed by the Chargers win on Sunday? Um, to be honest, I didn't really pay that close attention to it. Um, if anything, I have to take from Twitter that everyone was talking about, like. I turned the game off and Pittsburgh looked like they were going to score 50 points and um, Chargers came back and won. I mean, to be honest, like here's, here's the thing. Like um, I hate to turn it into this, but like it is 
to me a like Pittsburgh not holding up their end of the bargain more so than the Chargers going out and doing what they need to do. Because, I mean, I know Connor got hurt, but I think it was pretty late in the game. And I, I saw his replacement go out and score that touchdown to give them 30. Um, I mean, to me, I just like the, those two teams really remind me of each other a lot because I feel like, don't get me wrong. Like Roethlisberger has, uh, a, a really fantastic resume, um, as far as his, his football accomplishments are concerned, but like, I feel like Ben and Phil both have this propensity to just like do dumb stuff that costs their team games. Um, and, and I think that both of those teams, like, I, I don't know how people feel about Mike Tomlin, but I, I, I just think that like, I say this as a chiefs fan and, and they lead the league in penalties, but like, I just don't think that P- Pittsburgh is all that disciplined. I think that they rely a lot on their talent. Um, and, and that a lot of times it's not necessarily about a game plan that they have. Um, and so it's like they go out and things are clicking and they score all these points. And then in the second half, they don't really like have a a plan of action and it just kind of falls apart for them. But I mean, it's not, it's not to say that San Diego or the chargers, whatever, um, that they didn't have a great game because I think the biggest thing you have to take into account is the fact that they didn't have arguably their best player on either side of the ball. And they still went out and beat Pittsburgh on the road. On defense, who would that be? I mean, I said either side of the ball, meaning Melvin Gordon is their best player. Oh, okay. Like, gotcha. he's, he's just their best player. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, the first half of the game went pretty much exactly how I thought it would be. I thought I thought Pittsburgh would work them. It would be the classic Pittsburgh lays up a dud on the road and then comes home and uh, you know takes care of business at home, especially in a primetime game like that. It just it's, It seemed like a game Pittsburgh would definitely win, and the first half was all that. Chargers got a couple breaks in the second half. They had a punt return that went for a touchdown, and then that touchdown to Keenan Allen uh, should have been an interception. Uh, so if they don't get those breaks, probably Pittsburgh probably still wins. But an interesting game nonetheless. It's interesting to see the Chargers. I mean, that's just a game that the Chargers traditionally lose uh, and just not that they usually come up with. So uh, interested to see what the narrative is with Chiefs fans as far as Chargers because I, I feel like nobody was buying into them and for obvious reasons because we always beat them and they never win games like that. Uh, but they actually did win one for a change, but came with a few breaks. Uh, but Chargers hanging on the radar as, as long as as well with the Texans and Patriots, everybody nipping at the bud uh, on the Chiefs heels in the AFC playoff race right now. Well, and I'll tell you, man, I mean, so as of this moment, it's 12.52 p.m. on December 5th um, at the time of this recording. And in the next eight days, the Chiefs play two games. Um, a lot of people maybe are forgetting the fact that after Sunday's game against the Baltimore Ravens at Arrowhead, a few days later, the Chargers come to town and we got to play on Thursday night football. Um, and and look, I, I know that some of these are maybe like tired discussions for people, but look, man, you got a West Coast team going on the road in December against a division rival on a short week. I mean, that's that's five different factors that all add up in the Chiefs' favor playing against the Chargers uh, one week from tomorrow. Um, and and frankly, like if the Chiefs 
like really need an advantage when it comes to playing the Chargers, which I think, I mean, at least for me, I don't think that they do because I think we're just better. But like if you're looking for an edge, the Chiefs are extremely fortunate given the circumstances of that game. Now, I'm not one to want to look past Baltimore and the fact that, you know, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are went from running like 35% of the time to running like 65% of the time now. Um, and the Chiefs defense can't stop the run to save their lives. Um, I think Baltimore is going to be a, be a pretty tough test on Sunday. Um, but, you know, these next two games, honestly, the next three games, because then you have Seattle on the 23rd, um, this is this is for the one seed. Like, this is the stretch. This is what is going to determine, uh, honestly, I think maybe how the playoffs go for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, this season could could fall off the rails here in the next eight days. I mean, if you somehow lose these next two games, I mean, the Chiefs are probably done from a Super Bowl stance. I mean, losing that, losing the AFC West, uh, and then looking at three games on the road to kind of get to the Super Bowl. I mean, the season could fall off the rails. I mean, and it's it's an interesting time. Um, I mean, the reports from like the locker room and stuff on Sunday, and just and just everything around the Kareem Hunt situation, which I I think we should delve into next but just Mm -hmm. it's it's time to rally i mean this is a huge week you know inside that practice facility inside that locker room just all right you got to rally you got to get it together because lose baltimore and then all of a sudden that chargers game is just gigantic and you got everything on the line in that game all of a sudden and even if you win baltimore and then we're to lose the chargers game and then that seattle game becomes becomes the big one i mean just just a ton on the line in these next three games uh but ready to see the Chiefs take care of business. Any any last thing on the Chargers and this situation, do you give any um you know credence to the idea that the Chargers did this exact same thing last season? So maybe they have that to kind of bank on, even though I mean it went kind of uh bad for them. I mean they lost the game last year, even though they were up in that second half at one point, which I kind of forgot looking back at it. So uh, they battled a little bit last year, but did, had this pretty much exact same scenario, maybe even the exact week of the season uh, coming to Arrowhead on a Thursday night last season with the division on the line, kind of an interesting repeat. You give any uh, credence to the idea that that would help them this year? Uh, I mean, maybe. Um, I just, what it really comes down to for me, um, it's just a matter of Anthony Lynn not being anywhere near the same class as Andy Reid. And some of that, I think a lot of people, I mean, you can obviously just point to head coaching experience and say, you know, Andy Reid has coached essentially like 20 years um, and Anthony Lynn has been a head coach for two. Um, So, I mean, there's a huge disparity there. But generally speaking, I don't think that we've seen a lot of decisions from Anthony Lynn, not that I'm watching the Carson Chargers super closely each week, but like he's not being praised as some fantastic coach. Um, and and I think that pretty early on, people saw what Andy Reid was doing and believed in what he was doing. And I, I don't think that that's the kind of support that Anthony Lynn is getting. Um, the, the biggest change, I think, between – Um, And and this isn't last year, this year, but like earlier in the season when we played the Chargers um, and and this game now, um, depending on where Melvin Gordon is at and the Chiefs may be without Kareem Hunt, you know, both teams could be without their their choice running back. Um, But honestly, the big thing is that they're going to have Bosa. And um, I I heard that Bosa was an animal um, in the Pittsburgh game. 
And um, I, again, I didn't watch it that closely, but I mean, if that guy is is ready to go, um, that sucks because he's really good. Uh, a little inside info there. I uh, I have a, an unnamed source. I will not reveal my sources, but somebody who has talked uh, to Mitchell Schwartz uh, ranked the th- the AFC West pass rushers in terms of how hard they are to block. Uh, heard this just recently, actually. Uh, ranked Joey Bosa as the hardest. Mm-hmm. Uh, his rankings were in terms of hardest to block were Bosa one, uh, Vaughn Miller two. And Khalil Mack three, which I thought was pretty interesting. So he thought Bosa was the hardest of those three mega stars that used to all be in the AFC West. But uh, that's that's the player that Mitch Schwartz least prefers to block. I would think, um, and I mean, the, what do I know? But I would think maybe the big reason there is that like Khalil Mack can do a lot of things, but I think that like mostly what he seems to be known for and and like what he shows on tape is this just brute strength. His bull rush, he just dominates people, and he's like one-arm pressing tackles and then throwing them to the side. Well, Von every, Miller, every week you see a highlight of that. Every right. week. And, and Von Miller is the opposite, where it's all about speed, and he can get around the edge, and then he can set you up and get underneath you really quick. And Joey Bosa can do both of those things. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what, Joey, but I haven't watched him enough to know exactly what makes him so good. Maybe he's just more of a technician, uh, but I know people rave about him. I just haven't. I know he's putting up astronomical numbers. He just hasn't been in the league uh, nearly as long, so I don't know uh, his his ins and outs. But mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so one one last thing, and then I think we should uh, talk a little bit about Kareem Hunt. Um, just because we've been talking about other opponents in the AFC, you briefly mentioned the Texans. Um, I don't have it in front Nobody of Nobody cares about them. Yeah, no one seems to care about them. I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to try to pull it up. Um, I have heard, like, the rumor is that the rest of the Texan schedule is, like, got it. abysmal. Like, it's real bad. You have it? Yeah, hang on. So, uh, so Texans go Colts at home, at the Jets, at the Eagles, who might have a playoff bid on the line, and then Jacksonville at home. So they okay. should be favored in all four of those games. Colts could get them, I guess, but it's in Houston. Mm-hmm. And then at Philly uh, kind of depends on how important that game is for the Eagles. They could be out of it by then. They could you know, have have playoffs on the line in that game. So, okay. uh, But they should be favored in those four games. Well, let's just say this. So hypothetically, if any team other than the Chiefs – somehow gets the one seed. I am pulling for Houston, baby. Give me the Houston Texans as the one seed. And if the only chance the Chiefs have to go on the road is to Houston, can't wait. Can't wait. AFC Championship in Houston. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I was, I was, I've been texting with my brother about what playoff scenarios we want. And it's, it's so weird how everybody just doesn't fear the Texans. Uh, I don't – I mean – Maybe it's like the Chiefs winning 11 in a row in, in 2015, but I just don't remember a team just being totally disrespected like this that could be on this long of a winning streak. It's really interesting. But, yeah, if they get the home field advantage, if they could get it over the, the Patriots somehow, if the Patriots drop that Steelers game and then the Patriots have to go to Houston, just kind of upping the chances of the Patriots going out, uh, that would be nice too. But, yeah, interesting that, that 
a team could win that many times and, and just nobody fears them whatsoever. Right. Well, and the so another like weird thing that I feel like I've been seeing, and I don't know if it's just the same Ringer article that is like falling in my timeline over and over, but like people seem to think that this Patriots at Dolphins on Sunday is like, like if the Patriots lose, then like they're done. I'm like, if the Patriots lose to the Dolphins, are you kidding me? But apparently Miami, I mean, if they wrote the article, I haven't even looked at it, but I would imagine that that means that the Dolphins have some weird history of of beating Tom Brady maybe in Miami or something. So uh, 41-year-old Brady got to get this monkey off his back and, and overcome the mighty Miami Dolphins on Sunday or else they, they could I, be in pretty bad shape. I think that is the basis. They've thrown up a few duds in Miami kind of late in seasons over the years. Mm, okay. Well, um, I you know we've been talking for 16 minutes and we haven't really discussed the Chiefs at all. Um, and well, hang on a little bit longer because we're going to talk about Kareem Hunt. So um, I I want to check with you real quick because I know like you had to have been driving when the video yep. came out. Were you still in the car when they released him? Uh, I had just uh, shown up at Danny's. It was the entire thing lasted my drive to Chicago. Uh, I get a text that's just like, you know, from my buddy Nate, what the fuck, Kareem? And I'm just like, hmm, that's a that's a weird text to get. Uh, and then a few what other texts. What did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar do? <laughs> <laughs> the old Dolphins running back. Uh, so it was that was kind of interesting, like, ah, shit. So then, you know, I'm checking Twitter and, and driving, you know, the safest thing to do on a road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, it's literally, I, I get to Danny's and I sit down and we kind of, you know, ex- say, Hey, give some chest bumps, you know, a little flying chest bumps in the, in the dining room, uh, our typical greeting, you know, um, and then sit down and open it up. And first thing I see cream hunt cut by the chiefs. It happened five minutes after I, I got to Danny's mm-hmm. place. Uh, so yeah, an interesting, an interesting ride to Chicago. Uh, just trying to, uh, pff, I don't know, unload all of that, all that news at the same time. I mean, I don't know if there's like a, like a good way to absorb everything that happened on Friday. But I mean, both of us had like really odd experiences, given that I saw the video right as I sat down in class and then was like, kind of trying to listen to stuff uh, while I drove into Kansas City to go to work. And I was at work the entire time um, that decisions were made as far as he's on the commissioner's exempt list. And then the Chiefs have decided to cut him. And then like all of the Twitter reaction, like I got it. I got to my phone and was able to actually like stop and look at some things for about 10 minutes at like maybe 11 o'clock at night. And then like, didn't really get to look at everything until like one 30 or two in the morning. And I mean, dude, when I first got to my phone, even at 11, I had like 30 something text messages. Like I don't even have Twitter notifications on my phone, like just text messages. It was like, I've got all these people, you know, kind of going through it on their own without me responding. And like, I, I I mean, look. Let's just let's just start here. Um, I don't know if this is pertinent at all, but it just like kind of came into my head that 
you know, this is this is the seventh year of Amateur Hour. We started in 2012, the worst season on record for the Kansas City Chiefs, which ultimately, and and I don't know if there's a better way to describe it, like it culminated with the whole Javon Belcher situation. Um, and like, you know, you and I went to Arrowhead a few days after that happened. We played Carolina. The, the and it day was after, like, I think. It was like just the weirdest experience, man. Like, I mean, and and I don't know, like just to have kind of gone through that in the first year of the podcast and now um, like kind of having this happen, like the, again, they don't, they don't really have a whole lot to do with one another, but it just like made me think about it because it's something that like as a podcast, we kind of had to navigate. Um, there, there's a couple things here that I want to try to like, just have have an open dialogue about you and I and and hopefully this you know helps people and maybe brings a little perspective to the conversation um I mean as far as like just trying to have like a human take on the situation I thought this was a very simple decision for the Chiefs I really don't think that it was that difficult for them to to decide to release him um, and I saw a lot of outrage and a lot of uh, vitriol from Chiefs fans, um, not only like before they decided to release him, but certainly after. Um, but I, I thought this was a like a pretty cut and dry decision for the Chiefs to make. Uh, do, do you agree with that? I mean, I don't know. I, I have no way of judging that decision. I think they could have gotten away with, you know, suspending him indefinitely. Uh, and I based that mostly on people saying that he will play in the NFL again. Mm -hmm. So if he will play in the NFL again, you know, it could still be on the chiefs. Uh, granted coming out now, I mean, you're probably suspending him for the entire 2018 season um, regardless. So it would, it would be, you know, we're going to keep him, but he's going away kind of thing. And he'd still be a chief right now. And he'd pretty much just be shelved and, you know, kind of push the situation away for the rest of this season, at least. And then just kind of work, address it in the off season. And then he cut it, if cut him then if you needed to, I think they could have gotten away with that if they really wanted to. Uh, but, you know, I have, I have no evaluation of whether this is bad enough to cut someone. I mean, I, I don't, I don't typically look into these situations, so I don't know the history of what other teams, how other teams have handled it kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing I stay away from. But, you know, what I, I think what most likely happened and what, what the Chiefs have kind of said is that it happened because he lied to them. And, you know, it's a this sensitive a matter like, okay, Kareem, come in and tell us your side and you, you better be telling us the fucking truth. Uh, and he didn't. And then when he faces that second meeting, you know – with this other shit coming out, you, you kind of wonder, like, did Kareem lie about other stuff? Did he lie about this incident at Mosaic? Did he lie about this other incident that he had, um, you know, where, wherever else, at the, at the hotel? With in, the in Cleveland, car. again, I think, or in Ohio, okay, so he punched again. Yeah. So you kind of wonder if he lied about more, and then it's just like, or or just lying about that first one in, in, in general, like, you can't lie to the organization about a topic like this. And that was the kind of the final straw. And, and seeing these other reports come out, we knew about two of them. We had nobody had any idea about the mosaic one, but it's obviously um, a thing with Kareem Hunt uh, that he's uh, likes to drink and get violent, apparently. 
so yeah, he's he's definitely it's 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 hard to defend him with all of this evidence uh, thrown at us at once. So I have I have no problem with it. I, they could have tried to hold on to him if they really wanted to, uh, but it's it's what it is, I guess. So I I think like. Dude, there's so many layers to this when it comes to, I mean, I saw just yesterday, I think a guy said that in talking to the Cleveland Police Department, he said that they weren't even contacted by the NFL until November 30th or something like, I mean, dude, I don't, I I think that this, the whole situation is just completely botched by both the team and the NFL and their inclination is to trust the employee and generally speaking when an incident occurs and there's a police report but no charges are filed at all they just say all right i mean what are we supposed to do and i i guess i can't really blame them for that yeah see i i i see a bunch of rage outrage about the the nfl and about the chiefs and how how they didn't go how they didn't explore this further uh and i don't entirely get it because it's it's the police department's job. Uh, so I feel like all of the outrage should be with the police department. Uh, it's their job to see if a crime happened and, and, you know, get the evidence and whatnot. And if you have a problem with, with the evidence and all of that stuff, then it should be on the police. Right. Cause I mean, I think the chiefs would, you know, hear about the situation. They talk to the police, they talk to Kareem hunt. Okay. Here's, here's our version of what happened, I guess. Uh, and and then just kind of that was that was that, um, and you know I, you could criticize it for not going further with it, I guess, but it seems like it the onus should fall on the police department, right? Because it's their job to figure it out. It's not really the the chief's job to investigate these things. Is kind of how I look at it. I I mean I don't disagree. I think the bottom line, um, the bottom line to me is that. I think a lot of people got frustrated because they're like, you know, what what do the Chiefs or the what what are the Chiefs or the NFL supposed to do if the police aren't doing anything? Like this is something that's in the hands of law enforcement, and law enforcement decided this is not a big enough deal for us to pursue anything other than just taking statements and writing up a report that this incident occurred. And And I mean, I, I get that, but like to me, so like, here's, here's the biggest thing that I think I walked away from, uh, as far as my impression of the entire situation, first and foremost, um, I just, I, I, it was just so predictable to me, man. Like, like I'm just disappointed, um, across the board with the fact that it happened. And, and I, I think that like this, especially like if you if you look at the if you're taking like the actual video and kind of going frame by frame in it like the the kick at the end that I don't know if people want to categorize it as a kick or what like he just kind of tapped her on the butt with his foot um to me like what that showed was just like he was just so careless it was like I don't give a shit about you. You are nothing to me. This situation doesn't matter. I'm just going to fling my foot out there and give you a little kick on the ass and then turn around and walk away. 
And like, it's that judgment, it's that lack of judgment on his part throughout the entire scenario that they had a 19 year old girl drinking with them all night before they recognized that she was 19 and then tried to kick her out, depending, you know, on whose side of the story you're listening to. It's just like, it's just careless, man. It's careless. And, and the, I think the other thing, and this is something that I haven't heard people talk about. Um, but, but I find, um, I don't know, important is, is, the the attitude of privilege inside of this because Kareem Hunt had just finished a sensational rookie season when he led the NFL in rushing and had earned a name for himself and and in his first offseason after that has these number of incidents apparently you know, beginning right after, like hours after losing to the Titans with that mosaic incident. But then you have two other things go down. And I've heard whispers of other things that are completely unsubstantiated that I I, I don't need to go into specifics on. But like, I've had a lot of questions about Kareem Hunt and the way that he carries himself. And to me, like, this just shows that as a 23-year-old kid that's suddenly got hundreds of thousands of dollars um, and and the the privilege of being an NFL athlete and being recognizable and having a you know a group of people around him telling him how great he is and building him up that it's like he felt like there wasn't going to be any sort of repercussions from this incident and that empowered him to end up lying to his employer. I mean, when you look at the interview after the fact with Lisa Salters, I, I mean, look, you, you can try to break that down in any way that you want. I think it was a pretty bad look for Kareem personally. Um, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think he said until I saw the video, like once I saw the video, I knew what I did. And, and to me, I don't know that if that's, I didn't know what happened because I was drunk, which is a problem on its own. Or if it literally meant like, I didn't think it was a big deal because the police didn't do anything. So like, it couldn't have been that bad, could it? And then I saw the video and was like, oh yeah, that's, I shouldn't have done any of that. I mean, I I don't like, it just, to me, like the whole thing just, just screamed like immaturity and poor judgment. And, and frankly, like maybe the worst part of it for me, and, and this is just kind of splitting hairs because um, I, I know that, Clearly, the worst part is is the violence against this young woman. But like when he's being interviewed by the police, he suddenly doesn't have a fucking shirt on anymore. I'm just like, come on, dude. Like, it's just it's just it's so stupid. It's so stupid. And it's inexcusable, man. I was I was very, very frustrated and suddenly just was like, I just I I don't trust this guy. And clearly the Chiefs can't either. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't have too much to add here. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I haven't looked into it too much. It's not uh, my forte here. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about on the field? Yeah. Good? Yeah. Um, so I, I one one quick final qualifier before we talk about on the field. Um, the I, I said that like my human reaction to it was that this was a pretty simple decision for the Chiefs. Um, the the reason that I say that, and I don't know how many people recognize this. Um, I want to say that Therese and and Mellinger both kind of addressed it in their columns, but the biggest reason that this was a no-brainer for the Chiefs was because Clark Hunt 
stood in front of the media and himself said, I don't think the Kareem's going to get suspended for this. Like I, I, you know, Kareem had an incident and we're moving forward and everything's fine. And the video comes out and Clark looks bad and you do not make the owner of the team look bad like that. That was why to me like that. That's a hundred percent. Clark Hunt probably sat down and had the conversation with Kareem and they say, based on this video, Kareem clearly lied to us. He lied to Clark and like it, that you just, it's, you just can't do that. You can't do that in terms of on the field. Um, I mean, look, well, let, let, like, me, let me say this. Let me say this. I'll, I'll take over here. Uh, I thought there were two important things to kind of take away. Well, more than that, but two things I'm going to, I'm going to highlight here. Uh, the reports that Patrick Mahomes called a team meeting uh, on Saturday, I thought was really interesting. Cause I mean, these dudes seemed really close and for this news to just drop like this, I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like dealing with a death. Like, because Kareem Hunt, all of a sudden, he's just gone. I mean, the, the video dropped, and I think he was leaving the Chiefs practice facility within the hour. Like, that's – it's pretty much like Kareem Hunt just died to the team. And they and they were all really close with him. They were all at the sporting KC playoff game with him the night before that it happened, mm-hmm. uh, or the night before that it came, everything came out and stuff. Um, so I, I just think this team was really close. Uh, I thought Mahomes calling that team meeting was really interesting. Uh, fantastic sign of leadership, obviously, but – um, I, I feel like you could tell that the team was obviously affected uh, by the news. And it kind of showed like the whole the whole game on Sunday was kind of weird because it was like, man, they still put up points. But the mood of people watching the game the whole time was like the Chiefs still don't look right. Um, and, and a lot of that was Mahomes. Just be, he was erratic for, you know, the first three quarters of that game, missing a lot of throws. And it just seemed like the Chiefs were kind of sleepwalking. Uh, which makes all the sense. Uh, but I do think it was super important that they came away with the win because that got pretty interesting at a point uh, where the Raiders kind of pressed them and the Chiefs had uh, an important drive on offense to kind of, you know, take care of this game. I think they were up three at that point, I want to say, with the ball. And Mahomes just came up huge on a couple third downs. He's, he was just... That, that that drive was was just straight magic on third downs. Just just made some amazing plays, um, and so that was that was really good to see. So Mahomes uh, kind of rallied the troops, and then when things got dark, and it's just like, man, if the Chiefs lose this game, who knows what what happens to this season? I mean, it's just dealing with this and then losing this game. It's just like it it kind of feels like it's falling apart. Um, so I thought it was huge that Mahomes rallied them, and then. Uh, what I thought was most important from that game, or most interesting at least, Andy Reid after the game in those Chiefs videos that we that we know and love, his mood when he's yelling at the team, I've never seen Andy so fired up. Um, and I, I would love to get your reaction from it because it was just like he could kind of sense that the team needed it. Like they were all kind of down on themselves. Um, the reports, I think it was Nate Taylor. Uh, I still don't have the athletic, unfortunately. So I kind of just saw the headlines of it, but it was just kind of like the mood in the locker room. There wasn't any music. It was just kind of people getting dressed. It was like this team was playing a game. They were having fun all season long. And then all of a sudden this turned into work and it turned into, we need to take care of business, uh, at work. And that's what Sunday was, uh, which, you know, 
could help this team moving forward. Like, hey, this is this is serious fucking business here going forward. Like, this is this is what it's like. I mean, these things are important now. You're no longer just out here having fun playing a game. Uh, this is this is important. And I thought Andy Reid's uh, tenor in that just just trying to get his team fired up, trying to get his team back to focus. Uh, and I think I think I don't know if he thinks he's losing them or just thinks they need to you know just rally. And we kind of talked about how important these next eight days are for the Chiefs at this point. And so I, just, I thought that was super interesting to see Andy's mood in in this in uh, talking to the team after the game. So, um, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. Um, to to directly address the, the Andy Reid thing, um, dude, I I like to tell people that nobody knows the chiefs as well as you and I, and that nobody talks about the chiefs as, as well as you and I do. Um, Andy Reed knows the chiefs much better than we do, obviously. Um, and, and to have Andy uh, step into that locker room <clears throat> and at least in the video that I saw, it seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, him suddenly being big red, quite literally in the face and being super hyped up Um it was almost like they had to cut to it because they had kind of stopped filming because it was just him kind of being calm. And like, suddenly you have Andy Reed all jacked up. Um, this is going to feel like a, a weird bit of a stretch, but like you described it as Andy knowing that the team like needed this shot of energy in the locker room and what it, what, as soon as you mentioned that, what it reminded me of was Andy knowing that when <clears throat> the Monday night game was going on against the Rams and everything was out of sorts in that first quarter, he started ripping the refs on the sideline and Goff comes over and he starts screaming at Goff. And that was, for the most part, like the first time all night that the fans, at least, you know, in inside of Pinche Gringo, really got pumped up. And it was the first like real sign of life, I think from the team. And it came from the head coach because he knew like, this is out of hand and I need to take control of this situation. And um, <clears throat> look, I, I, as far as like the, the team meeting and stuff is concerned that you mentioned, um, I was actually going to ask you if you had read Nate Taylor's piece on the athletic. Um, I, I don't just subscribe to the athletic either. So um, <laughs> I, I don't read anything that comes out from that website. Um, I heard that the piece that he initially wrote was about as widely circulated as, as any other article and um, like a really in-depth breakdown and of the sequence of events and, um, ultimately I heard a few faint references to him basically saying like that Kareem hunt, like begged, like, like didn't want to leave the facility and, and was like, you know, please don't like, no, no, I'm not, I do not accept my release. I am staying. And I think that there are probably a lot of guys on the team that maybe echoed that sentiment. Like, Coach, like, let us take care of this as a family, as a team, as as a brotherhood. Like, let us take care of this because we can. We trust ourselves. We trust each other. And apparently, you know, we trust Kareem. Let us take care of this. 
and the organization decided to go in a different direction. And I don't think that that's going to cause any sort of like fracture down the road because the team disagreed with, you know, maybe what the, the organization thought or whatever. Um, but much like any situation like this, um, whether it is directly involving a player or a heartbreaking playoff loss, the further away from it you get, the smaller and less important it is. And, you know, I, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be feeling the effects of this emotionally, um, completely aside from, from like the football impact, but like just in their heads and in their hearts. I don't know if that's going to last through the rest of the season. Um, and some of that is Andy Reid's job and some of that is Pat Mahomes' job. And But honestly, like to a man, that's your own job. You got to move forward. Um, because the NFL is a business. Um, but I hate to think that the team is suddenly not going to be having fun because that has been the best part of this season is watching how loose they are and watching how much fun they're having. And um, I want to see them get back to that. And I don't know when the next opportunity for that is going to be, but I sure feel fortunate that despite the fact that over the next eight days they have two games, and frankly, like the next three games are a really important stretch for this team, the Chiefs have three of their final four games at Arrowhead. And like if there's any way to get that team jacked back up and have the right kind of energy and the right kind of mindset, it's playing in front of a home crowd that is going to be absolutely electric in December. Because we love a winner in Kansas City, and that's exactly what this football team is. Yeah, so there's kind of two things to, um, you know, kind of break down here is how the team um, emotionally reacts, how, how this affects the team emotionally going forward, and how this affects the team, uh, you know, from a on the field, from a, how do, I don't know how you want to say, physical standpoint, tangible standpoint, just having losing a top five NFL running back all of a sudden. Um so let me let me ask. I, I think the I don't I, the mood definitely changes. Um, whether they can recapture that fun will be interesting. Let me let me ask. Did you think the team looked right on Sunday? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, I mean, generally speaking, uh, I, I mean, I, I brought up that stat, and and we kind of just like bulldoze right through it. But I mean, think about it, man. The Raiders and Chargers have played their two-game set this year, and the final score was forty-two to thirty-three, or 40, 40, 42 to thirty-two, and the Chiefs went out and beat the Raiders forty to thirty-three on Sunday. Like the Raiders had their second highest point total of the season against the Chiefs, and the the weird thing, and this is this is where like. I I still am kind of having a hard time like like knowing exactly what to expect from the Chiefs because the Chiefs went out and scored 40 points against the Raiders. Um, and I don't think that like that was unexpected, but like how they did it and how they looked and, and like arriving at 40 points, um, just the way it was executed was so different from what my expectation was. And it's like maybe there's like room for hope because they scored 40 and they looked so like out of sorts doing it. Yeah, I think a bad day they can do that. I don't know. I think it was weird because I mean everything everything on paper looks fairly normal. I mean they they scored forty points, so it's hard to criticize them for that. Um, and you know 
every pretty much every metric you look like on paper, you would say that was the typical Chiefs game. There's nothing to really criticize here as as, as ter- in, in terms of offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think everybody watching it kind of had the belief that they look out of sorts. They doesn't look the same. And you know, there's there's an obvious excuse there that hey, they don't have Kareem Hunt who's a fantastic football player and they don't have Sammy Watkins this game. So, you know, they're out, they're losing two of their four horsemen here. So it's, it's a depleted offense. So I think the excuse is kind of there. Um, the defense kind of, I thought had maybe their worst game of the season. Um, and that would maybe come from, that wouldn't be a tangible aspect. That would be like a psychological, you know, playing defense is a lot about attitude and maybe they didn't quite have the attitude. I mean, they allowed 33 points to the Raiders while forcing three turnovers. Uh, they only really stopped them twice. They only forced two punts from the Raiders, which is, you know, pretty bad. The Raiders went nine of 12 on third downs. Mm-hmm. They went four of four in the red zone. Um, so it was just kind of like those plays, the important plays that the Chiefs defense has kind of thrived on this year, they were not thriving on on Sunday against the Raiders. Um, so I think that would kind of go towards you know, the mentality of the team was just kind of not not ready to play a football game. It was just too soon after losing one of their brothers, uh, and they just didn't quite bring it. And uh, I think that is a valid excuse. I think that plays, but, you know, they got to turn it around, like, right now. Like, they don't have time to – they don't have time for that to carry over into this Sunday's game kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, for for as well as the team has played all season and maybe, like – the cushion that we were feeling like or hoping that they had built up for themselves. I mean, dude, they're, they're a game up on two teams that are both playing really well. Um, Three teams. I, are the Patriots only one game back too? Yeah. Oh, see, I thought the Patriots were two games back for some reason. Yeah. Three so nine, we, three teams. We've got three teams that are right behind them. Um, they, they can't afford to stumble right now. And honestly, like, I think the biggest frustration for me, and and especially as we enter this two-game stretch over eight days where ultimately they'll get a little bit longer break as they prepare to go on the road at Seattle. Um, dude, we just came off the bye. Like, just came off the bye where it's a chance to reset. And, and you know, like this Raiders game, Chiefs coming off a bye. Like, we didn't even have to think about or talk about Andy Reid and how his teams perform coming off the bye. Some of that because it's the Raiders, but like just because the team has been so good. And suddenly, like before the bye is actually all the way over, before they play that game, this whole situation happens with Kareem Hunt. And whatever it was that they were self-scouting and going and trying to, to prepare for and reset for for this final five-game stretch of the season, it kind of gets derailed. It's a huge distraction for whatever the changes they wanted to try to implement. And, I mean, as far as how it was manifest on the field against the Raiders, like, it's weird because you would think that the the only real ripples are going to happen on offense. And then, as you mentioned, like, they kind of look like themselves, um, at least on paper, going out and scoring 40 points. Um, But, like, you have to know – that the offense was going to be like a little wonky given the fact that they had finished their practices for the week by the time they ended up releasing Kareem. Like, 
Spencer Ware gets very minimal snaps with the first team, and it's not like he doesn't know the offense or anything, but like, you know, these guys are pros, so they're prepared and they can go out and do it. But I mean, if it were a different opponent, if the Chiefs were were playing not the worst team in the NFL, they probably would have lost on Sunday. Yeah, I think it was kind of fortunate that they drew the Raiders on Sunday. But also, and, and finalizing this uh, talk about the Raiders, just I thought it was super, super important that they pulled that out. Just because when that, the Raiders cut it to three, man, if if there was a time to clam up, if there was a time to get lemon booty, that was it. And just I, I think a loss to the Raiders there just – I mean, that could derail everything, just the embarrassment of that. Like, and just, I mean, all of the talk on Monday would be, are the Chiefs okay? Like, can they overcome this? And, you know, losing to the Raiders would be easy to point at, like, no, I mean, they're in, they're in trouble. Like, losing to the worst team in football, uh, it's, it's not good. Uh, and it's so it's clearly affected this team, and it's, it's ruining where they are in the standings and everything. And it's just, it could have really... Uh, taking this whole season off the rails. So I thought it was super important that drive from Mahomes, those, those third downs, those mat, the magic on third downs was crucial to this team. Um, I want to get into the running back situation specifically. Um, I was really hoping Darrell Williams would get some work on Sunday. Uh, he was active, but never, I don't think took a single snap on offense. He didn't register a carry. I know that. Um, I think Spencer Ware is just kind of an average running back at this point. Um, I don't think he's a game breaker. Uh, I think I don't think he's been the same ever since he kind of got hurt, which is you know true with a lot of running backs. They just kind of maybe lose their mentality, and he's just not as explosive as Kareem. I mean, I mean, obviously a step down from Kareem Hunt, um, but. I don't know if he's good enough to carry this load and threaten any team uh, with his uh, with his ability to run the ball. Like I don't think anyone cares. Any opponent's going to care about Spencer Ware carrying the ball twenty times. Like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so I do think um, one thing, one ripple of this is that it falls even more on Mahomes. I mean, we're going to lean even more on Patrick Mahomes right now, and it's just like you know that's fine. That's that's great. Uh, he's might be the best quarterback in the league right now. So that's cool. Um, but I want to talk about Damian Williams. Damian Williams. I don't think he's anything going to be any more than a part-timer. I think he's kind of locked into that third down role. Um, Darrell Williams is the guy that's the unknown. And I just think these running backs can just come out of nowhere and there's no real explanation for why they are good. You just kind of have to throw them out there and see how they do. Uh, and a couple examples, I mean, Philip Lindsay, an undrafted free agent for the Broncos right now, uh, and he might be the best running back in the NFL right now. I mean, he's threatening Jamal, Jamal Charles's uh, yards per carry record for a season. And it's just like, you, you never would have known that other than he's, he's like 5'9", 180. Just throw him out there and, you know, look at this production. Like, okay, we have a great running back. Uh, and I think I think a lot of people get the running back conversation wrong because they think it's not important. Uh, I think it's super important. It's just really easy to find guys, and you never know where you're going to find guys. So the value of taking guys gets skewed. But I mean, look at the top teams in the NFL. You had Kareem Hunt, you have Todd Gurley, you have Alvin, Alvin Kamara. Um, you got the Patriots stable running backs, and they're not really studs necessarily, but they use them 
in a way that's that's super effective. Like they're kind of driven by the running backs, um, and they've struggled when Sony Michelle goes out or uh, or whatever. But the story is, you got to play, guys. You got to you got to see what you got in guys. And I think Darrell Williams is that unknown guy at this point, and I think he's the guy who you know has super fresh legs. He's he wants to prove himself. So I think the Chiefs should really look at getting Darrell Williams involved and see if they have anything there. Because I, I, I feel like there's a chance he could explode. Uh, and so I just really want to see Darrell Williams get some work uh, definitely before the playoffs. Um, and I think this Ravens game is, is a great opportunity to do so. But Darrell Williams is what I want to see uh, with the Chiefs running back position going forward. Well, I mean... I, I want to talk about Damian Williams real quick because, like, this is a guy that, to me, he has the build um, to, to be an every-down running back, and he has the skill set to be an every-down running back, and he's just never really gotten the opportunity. Um, I mean, I go through and, and look at this guy. So I don't know, like, what he did at Oklahoma um, because I haven't looked at it. But as you were talking, I was just scrolling through his game log as a professional. Damian Williams has only had like 10 total touches in a game. Not double-digit carries. 10 touches between attempts and receptions in a game five times in his career. I mean, he's not been given a lot of opportunities. But he's 5'11", 225. And when you look at the difference between he and Spencer Ware... In terms of explosiveness, he had five for 36 or something on Sunday against the Raiders, and when he touched the ball, he looked like he was being shot out of a cannon compared to Spencer Ware. I mean, <clears throat> Damian Williams looks like that guy can can do some things. Now, I agree with like everything that you said regarding Daryl Williams, and generally speaking, in terms of the guys that are currently on the roster, Darrell Williams is the only guy that is under contract for next season. And who knows how the Chiefs are going to decide to approach that position. But I would say right now, Darrell Williams, not just because of the contract, but because I think he's it's going to be a wide open competition. He's the leader in the clubhouse for being the starting running back next year. Um, but I, I think that Damian Williams is a guy that can have a major impact right now, especially like the Chiefs are, are in a position where they're just going to go with the hot hand. And Damian Williams is, is to me, the guy that's going to be in line for opportunities that is probably going to be best suited to, to take advantage of those. Personally, that's what I believe. I mean, the it, Chiefs, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, no, I'm totally with you. It's riding the hot hand. That's how every NFL team should always handle running backs. Like, I just, I feel like there's such little explanation. Like, okay, the Chargers on Sunday. So Melvin Gordon is out. They got Austin Eckler, who's put up some amazing numbers as a backup. Like his yards per carry has been uh, kind of crazy this year. It's like, okay, so well, he finally gets his shot. Here we go. He gets totally shut down. And then his backup comes in. Some, I think Justin Jackson, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. And he looks amazing. And nobody knows a thing about Justin Jackson. He just comes in and he's able to run the ball effectively. And it's, it's, there's just... No explanation for when a running back gets high. And it's, you know, Spencer Ware back when I was calling him the NFL MVP. And even back to the year before and why his injury was so, uh, his is the underrated injury of that Patriots playoff loss. Because um, people always throw out Justin Houston and Jeremy Macklin, I think, were the main two. But Spencer Ware not being able to tote the rock when he was hot 
like he had the hot hand at that point. That's that's the um, under underrated injury of that game. But you know, Spencer Ware was the hot guy. Now I think he's just league average, and and I don't want to just I don't want to just trot out Spencer Ware and have him run for three point three yards per carry in the rest of these games and just be like, hey, we're fine at running back because Spencer Ware is the best we've got. And, you know, this we're fine with this. I want it's if 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 it's Damian Williams that gets the shot before Darrell, fine. But tr- try different things. Just see what you've got. See if Damian Williams, give him a couple drives, see if he can give you some juice. If he doesn't work out, go to Darrell Williams. Give him a shot. See if he got some juice. If none of those guys work out, fucking find a guy on the street and try him. Running backs are so weird. Just don't be satisfied with trotting out Spencer Ware every week because he knows the offense and we see him as this best option and just let him run for 3.3 yards per carry. That's that's the one thing that I I won't be able to stand behind. I won't support. Well, I I just want you to be prepared for the fact that the four guys that they have on the roster are the four guys that they're going to have on the roster. If one of those guys gets hurt, you'll see a change. And if not, then then you have the running backs that you're going to have un, until this season is over. Um, they're, they're not going to go find somebody else, I'll tell you that much. And and I'm not trying to – to I, I don't disagree with you. I'm actually like I'm, – I'm 100% on board with the idea of just like give anybody an opportunity, essentially – um, and and here's the weird thing is that like I I think and I I had, I don't know like if this is an Andy thing or if it would be more of an Eric B enemy thing or maybe it could even be defaulted to the position coach with with Dylan McCullough um, but like who decides who's gonna go out there like is it the offensive coordinator's job is it the position coach's job or is it the head coach's job? Who gets to make the decision of, I think it's time that we hand this person the ball, right? And and I don't I don't know who who ultimately is like whose doorstep that falls at. But like what I would think is that signing Sharkandrick West means that Daryl Williams, unfortunately, is gonna go right back to being inactive on game day. And, and it, I was just I was just gonna say that. Sorry to cut you off, but if that happens, I am I am going to be upset. It will be the most mad I've been at the Chiefs this season. If if they trotting out Sharkandrick West and and inactivating Darrell Williams, I will be very very frustrated. So let me let me say this. Um, I don't. I'm not closely monitoring the snap counts every week to tell you when Daryl Williams has been active, if he's playing on special teams, and what his value is, and you know, outside of being a running back, I don't know. Sharkandrick West is a favorite of the Chiefs organization. He is a guy that they love. They like the way that he works. They like his attitude. They like that he'll play special teams. They apparently don't mind that he fumbles in big games all the time. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. There's something about Sharkandrick. They like him a lot. I was going to ask you, better reserve offensive linemen, Sharkandrick West or Jeff Allen? Um after I completely forgot Jeff Allen was on the team and saw him in the game on Sunday, I was like, "Wait!" I thought the exact same thing, and he starts he starts shuffling with the Raider, and I was like, "Hey, Jeff Allen, look at that!" Um, um, I do think Sharkandrick West. I think this has been kind of well documented at this point, but he's he's brought in to pep up the locker room. Yeah, uh, he's just like yeah. a just like a camp counselor that they hired to come in and you know pep everybody up. Like, hey, he's mm-hmm. he brings smiles to people's faces. Let's bring him back, and I'm I'm totally on board with that. But don't don't. 
Don't activate him, especially this first fucking week. Don't activate him over to Williams. Don't do it. Well, I I will tell you this much. Um, I, I mean, and I'm preaching to the choir here, the amateur hour choir. I love I, our choir. I would really like to see Daryl Williams get an opportunity. Um, and and if we have to wait until next year, that sucks because this is the thing. Um, I I started saying this, and and then we we talked about Shakinja Quest. So I feel like Andy Reid and his relationship with Patrick Mahomes is such that, you know, you've heard people talk about this on the broadcast. I feel like I've maybe heard BJ kind of allude to it. And it, maybe this is just all like what we all presume, but it sure seems like Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes have a really special relationship where Pat can say, listen, coach, I don't like this play. I don't think we should run that anymore. Or listen, coach, the, here, here's the thing that we did at Texas tech. I let's, let's try this out in practice. Let's see what it looks like. They'll sit down on the bench during the game, and Andy says, what are you seeing? What do you like? What do you think's working? What is it? What should we toss out? What do we need to add in? Well, if he's going to have that kind of openness as far as the play calling is concerned, especially with a young kid like that, and, I mean, look, I don't know what Daryl Williams has earned aside from you know a roster spot as an undrafted rookie in a really crowded, talented running back group. Um, I just want Andy Reid to have the openness and the flexibility to say, like, I don't care that we've had Spencer Ware and Sharkandrick West on this roster for the better part of three or four years now. You know, I don't, I don't care that Damian Williams is a great special teams player. Like, if Daryl Williams can run the ball and he's going to be more effective than these other guys, not to mention the fact that, I mean, aside from Damian Williams, we've seen what Spencer Ware and Sharkandrick West can do. And and maybe it's for them, it's the devil you know rather than the devil you don't. I, I don't know. Did I say that right? But whatever. I, I mean, with Daryl Williams, it's just like this guy is completely unknown. No teams – like college teams don't even – like there, there's not enough tape on Daryl Williams for anybody to be prepared for what that kid is capable of doing. And he looked absolutely fantastic in the preseason. And what does that mean? I don't know. Jackie Battle was a preseason MVP. But I look at Daryl Williams. And? 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 And what? The key linchpin to beating the 14-0 Green Bay Packers. Well, there you go. I just <laughs> I, I, I just think that the Chiefs are in a prime position to be able to figure out, like, what does Daryl Williams offer this football team? Um, and, and maybe – Maybe um, just given how tight these games are probably going to be over the next three. I mean, maybe they blow out in any or all three of the next three teams. But maybe week 17 against Oakland, the Chiefs are in a, a position where they get to play a lot of their backups like they have most of Andy Reid's tenure. And that's the day that they see what Darrell Williams can do. Maybe. We'll see. I can see that. That would make sense. I would definitely like to see it sooner. Um it's, it is worth noting that, I mean, Darrell Williams did look great in the preseason. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be great if they give him the rock. I just want to know. I just want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, what I don't want is to him to get three carries for seven yards and then people be like, okay, there you go. He wasn't great, and that's it. I don't want to see that. And worth noting that um, 
he was chosen over Sharkandrick West in the preseason. I mean, he it was a it was a battle for that fourth running back spot, and they chose Darrell Williams. I also like how we're having this entire conversation with me calling him Darrell Williams and you calling him Daryl Williams. So can we give him the rock at least to figure out the the answer on that on which one it is? Yeah, that would be important because you know whether it's uh, you know flipping on one hundred one the Fox and getting the official word from Mitch. Um, I imagine that they probably have a pronunciation guide somewhere, but they do. But but, but the I don't know how to read those. Is, the problem is is that they're going to have guys like Tano Passanio on there, um, but. Daryl versus Darrell, they're they're not going to clear that up on the pronunciation guide. They're just going to be like, just, I don't know, just, I don't know if you show me a pronunciation guide with Daryl or Darrell if I'd be able to tell you the difference. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to read that. Can I can I just say that that's the first time that I have mentioned or thought about Tano Passanio in the last few weeks? Just now, like, I saw Carrington tweet out he had zero snaps the last, I think it was two weeks or something. But Since he Justin just, Houston came back, basically. Just non-existent. And, and Speaks isn't really playing too much either, but he's mm. obviously the, the next guy up. Yeah. Uh, D4 is pretty much paying, playing 100% of the snaps at this point, and Justin Houston subs out for Speaks. Um, but yeah, Tano Passanio, for whatever, I, I feel like he's been good when he's seen the field, and they just, he does not. Play. He does not. Can, I, can, I, can I ask you something? We were talking about the offense a little bit, and like I just kind of want to riff on the defense here. I, I saw Mellinger mention this, and like I I can't disagree. Like, like I feel like the defense has gotten better as the season has gone on, and I don't really have any evidence as to why, other than the pass rush is just like insatiable. There's nothing you can do to stop the Chiefs pass rush right now. Um, but like why why are they bad? Like, why is the defense bad? Do we know? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> I'm just like, I, I don't, like, I don't know. I really don't. Like, if I had to point at a thing, um, I mean, I don't know. I thought Eric Murray was terrible against the Raiders. He had himself a tough day. Yeah, he did. Um, and, and, I mean, at least as far as our group chat with our Colombian brethren is concerned, there was a lot of Anthony Hitchens slander going on on Sunday. You know, the funniest <laughs> thing, I was thinking about Anthony Hitchens this week. We've all already just accepted that he's a terrible football player. Uh, he is 12 games into a monster five-year contract. And we've all just, we're not even debating it anymore. Nobody's having Anthony Hitchens debates. It is just He's terrible, and we have to pay him for the next three years at least. So he's going to be the middle linebacker on this team, uh, and we've already accepted that he's just a just bad football player. So that's that's fun. What a what a signing, huh? <laughs> what a sports nut, huh? <laughs> um, I mean, look, I don't. I I think that as a Chiefs fan, my choice is to say that this is just a bad year as he transitioned from a 4-3 to a 3-4. There you go. He got hurt, and Reggie Ragland hasn't been right, and everything on defense is just a little bit wonky, and hopefully this offseason, man, God, I, it's like I want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, but I also want to fire Bob Sutton, and I can't have both of those things. I mean, I'll choose the Super Bowl, clearly, but like – I just I they need 
they need a fresh set of eyes on defense, man. Like I, I, I feel like they have done so many different things to try to achieve different results. And I mean, I see so many people pointing to the talent and saying, well, this is an issue and this is an issue and this is an issue. And everyone hates Ron Parker. And it seems like everyone just wants Jordan Lucas to play a hundred percent of the snaps and all these different things. And it's like, look, man, I, I mean, I, I guess I just like point my frustrations at Bob Sutton and say like maybe maybe it's that both things are true that we do have some problems with the personnel but we also have a problem with the coordinator but like I mean should we be excited that Eric Berry's supposedly going to play on Sunday? Uh, we should um, and and on the defense as a whole. Um, well, with Bob Sutton, the, the weird thing is the year to do it would have been this year. Like this was last off season was the off season to get rid of Bob Sutton and they didn't do it. Um, so that's, if, if, if that's what you're wanting, uh, I don't see it happening after this year personally. Um, so that's, that's kind of frustrating. <laughs> I mean, I was all on board with getting rid of him. Uh, as far as the defense goes, I haven't really been mad at him all season. Really. I've, I've been kind of defending the defense, but I do think Sunday was uh, a step back for them and probably their worst performance of the season, uh, just given the opponent, give, allowing 33 points with while forcing three fumbles. It's just that's it's that's a it was really bad. I mean, they have their excuse and they have Eric Berry coming back. So I'm not jumping to conclusions yet, but that was a the a step back for the defense on Sunday. Like I don't I don't you so your like formative football years were the Dick Vermeil Chiefs. Um and so I want to ask because you are um d- despite your extracurriculars have this sterling memory of of certain Chiefs things. So it, it causes <laughs> short-term memory loss, not long-term. Okay, all right. So um the 2003 Chiefs, is that the no-punt game, 2003? Yeah. All right, so let me ask you this. Like, it seems like what people have said was, despite the fact that the Chiefs were just this amazing offense and they like they could just overwhelm people, um, like you knew how bad the defense was and you felt like, you know, maybe they're flawed and like maybe they're not going to be able to get this done, right? Um like entering that game against the Colts, had the Chiefs had just like consistently troublesome defensive performances, and like in the three games that they lost, was it just like, oh my god, like this is the defense, like it's it's completely on the defense? I mean, I'm I'm just curious because I look at this Chiefs team, and I don't know if that is the closest comparison, at least in Chiefs history, is the 2003 Chiefs because. Like, I don't, I don't know that in the games we lost to the Patriots and Rams that I would be like, well, it's the defense's fault. Like, I mean, I guess if you look at the Rams game and say that Skandrick catches that interception or something, I don't, I don't know, but it's just like, well, those allowing fifty four points is, isn't good. Well, I mean, I get it, right? But, but I, I don't know. I guess I just like this is an offensive team. And so I look at the offense like that's, just, well, yeah. I don't know. It's like, I just Obviously. don't even pay attention to what the defense does for the most part. 
They're not well, yeah, fun. They're not exciting. Leaning, we lean on the offense more. We we grade them differently, obviously. Um, so, but I think the defense has kind of held up their their own. They've 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 done well enough in important times. Uh, that's so they've been opportunistic enough. Um, going back to th- 2003. I think the defense, it thrived being up in games and it kind of relied on turnovers uh, to be good. But if you weren't turning the ball over, like you could march down the field on them. And the thing that really turned that 2003 team was Mike Mislowski getting hurt. Uh, and then the wheels really fell off and they, they got, they ended up getting destroyed by the Vikings in a game. They got destroyed by the Broncos in a game where Clinton Portis uh, broke out the championship belt. Uh, maybe the most angry I've ever been as a Chiefs fan was watching him tote that fucking belt around. It still just fucking boils my blood. I just I've heard you mention this so oh many times. Yeah. And like I don't really remember it. Oh, and yeah. like every time you are like grabbing the computer screen, like Rawr! Jesus. It's just, it was like the first great team, Chiefs team in a long time, and it just Clinton Portis just running for 12 yards of carry every time. And it's just like yeah. fucking tackle. And then he just has the audacity to bring out the belt. So um, no, it was kind of, it, it was a defense that totally relied on turnovers. And once you play Peyton Manning in the playoffs, he's not going to turn the ball. At, well, and, uh, and when he plays other teams in the playoffs, he does turn the ball over. When he plays the chiefs in the playoffs, he magically does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's the 2003 answer. Um Let's like if the Chiefs about- if the Chiefs lose in the playoffs, like is it it's gonna be the defense? Like are we just waiting for five to seven combined penalties for Steven Nelson and Orlando Skandrick and Ron Parker, you know, getting the ball thrown over his head two times for touchdowns and like I mean, and- is that is that just how this ends? Possibly. The, first off, the weekly PI on Skandrick because of I think his reputation is just like there's there's a maddening PI call on Skandrick every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was the other part of that? I was just was saying, like, like he and Nelson being penalized a lot. Oh no, no, Ron Parker getting beat deep. Like, is that how this ends? Possibly, but I mean, I go back to that research I did on all the top offenses in the NFL, and a lot of it was because the offenses sputtered. Uh, so whether you want to apply that to this year's Chiefs team or not, but the, the top if offenses in NFL history, when they've gone down in the playoffs, it's typically because the offense doesn't produce and then they press, or at least this is my theory on it, because I don't, I don't study it you know, every drive kind of thing, but their turnover numbers were astronomical in those games, kind of averaging three turnovers per game in those losses. Like That's how they've gone down. The offenses underperform, and then they press, and then they turn the ball over, and it, it's – you know, they lose not as high scoring as you would think. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me now, but it was like something like 19 points per game for the top offenses when they lose in the playoffs. So uh, traditionally it's been uh, the offenses that have kind of let their, their teams down. Hmm. I actually, you know, I remember you doing that deep dive and I guess I kind of forgot that that was the resolution was that, you know, these these offenses, these top 10 all-time offenses basically, like, didn't end up traveling, so to speak. Not necessarily that they ended up losing those games on the road, but, like, what what derailed them was not doing what they had done all season long. And, um, I mean, the Chiefs have had, like, a couple bad performances, but it seems like 
especially because this conversation keeps happening as far as like Mahomes and Breeze are concerned in, in this MVP race. Like the lows for Mahomes are so much higher than everybody else. I mean, like Mahomes hasn't really had a dud. He didn't throw a touchdown in that Jags game, but they still ended up scoring 20 or 30. I think we scored 30 against the Jags. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I like, I, I, so I don't know if you wanted to go a different direction, but like how much trust, even without Kareem Hunt, do, do you have in the Chiefs offense? Like them going out and scoring 40 against the Raiders, does that maybe like give you a little bit more, um, you know, confidence that like it's it's going to be okay because I certainly think that the best defense that the Chiefs are going to play maybe the entire season is coming up on Sunday at Arrowhead against the Ravens, and the Ravens are also going to probably control the clock and and hand the football off a lot. I make the I, defense look bad. I do. I want to get into Chiefs Ravens because I got some stats uh, on the Ravens that are that are kind of fun. I think it's it's a big enough game that we should do a little preview for. I got some stuff on it. Um, trust in the offense. I think it's just going to – they're just going to have to rely on Mahomes. Like, all right, Mahomes, I, we realize you're 23 years old and this is, you know, more than, than we should be putting on a, a quarterback going into his first year into the playoffs here. But, you know, he's surpassed every benchmark so far that I don't think there's any limit on what he can do. Like, it's, it's going to be more Mahomes-reliant and – it wouldn't shock me if he went out and did it because just everything this kid does is fucking amazing. Uh, and we haven't probably haven't glossed over him enough. Here's, here's my favorite Mahomes stat of the week. Mahomes has as many passing touchdowns this year as Aaron, as Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady combined. Um, and, and this is just your weekly reminder that uh, we are comparing Patrick Mahomes in his first year as a starter to the best quarterbacks of all time, their best seasons of all time. And, you know, now we're comparing him to the best quarterbacks of all time, having some bad seasons, but we're combining two of the, you know, supposed five best quarterbacks of all time. And, you know, that's even even to what Mahomes has done this year. So that's uh, that's your astronomical stat of the week for Mahomes and just 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 weekly reminders that he's fantastic. And I could I could see it going either way. I mean, it's it's Mahomes first playoff taste. Um, if you want to be like an NBA guy, you'd be like, well, they don't tend to come up in their first playoff run. It's, it's kind of like you got to learn the ropes. That isn't always necessarily true in the NFL. And, you know, I'm ready to live or die with him. If he has a bad game in a playoff game, I'm totally fine with that. Like, fuck, it's, he got the experience. He's going to learn from it. Here, let's let's go into next year. Let's, let's, let's get ready. Let's reload. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just, you know, here you go, Mahomes. Go win us a playoff game. Here, go win us three playoff games. Uh, what year is next year? I believe that's 2019. Oh, okay. So the 2019 Chiefs. That's cool. Um, I do. I, I this kind of popped into my head as you were talking about Mahomes. Um, if it ends up like being stupid and one of those, you know, radio things that people don't like. Sorry. Um, you, we talked about Mahomes. You said like I think that the Chiefs at this point just have to lean on Mahomes, and it's, he's 23. But like th- this is what we've got. We have Patrick Mahomes, right? So I I, I want to ask you this question. Um, in what ways haven't the Chiefs relied on Patrick Mahomes the entire season? I and and the way that I'm I I don't know if it's the right way to try to go about answering that question, but like in terms of the Chiefs' offensive success, 
Um, you can't really separate Mahomes and Andy Reid. Like, they're just sort of a package deal, I guess. But, like, one of the things that I feel like a lot of people were making arguments against Patrick Mahomes and, um, you know, in turn, like, for Drew Brees about this MVP race was look at all the weapons that Patrick Mahomes has, as if, you know, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram and, and Michael Thomas are bad. Um, but, People have talked so much about the Chiefs' weapons, and the Chiefs went out and scored 40 points without an all-pro running back and without you know a very highly touted wide receiver, despite all the jokes that we make about Sammy Watchkins. Um, I, I think that Patrick Mahomes is more responsible for the Chiefs' offensive success than the weapons around him. Like To me, I feel like what Mahomes has done – the kind of throws that that guy makes every single week, it's more about what Patrick Mahomes is capable of doing with those weapons than what those weapons are capable of doing without Patrick Mahomes. Like, I, I just think he's more important. And, and I mean, some of that is like, well, yeah, duh, he's the quarterback. Uh, it's a quarterback league, bro, you know, uh, but like I, I just <laughs> like I just I like was keep going. <laughs> I, I was I was gonna try, but um, but I mean like that's just that's just I I just well, think I think it's all about Mahomes to me. And don't get me wrong, like Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL, and Tyreek Hill is you know probably one of the five best offensive weapons in the NFL. Um, but like. If, if they didn't have Mahomes, then I don't think that there's a quarterback that's better equipped to take advantage of those talents, and I don't think that they would be putting up the kind of numbers that they do if they had a different quarterback. See, I, I think it's a good debate because, I mean, yeah, he's the quarterback, but you're comparing him to is it more the quarterback or is it more, you know, the coach who's drawing up the entire scheme plus the weapons? So you got, you know, kind of like six guys over here where you're weighing versus Mahomes, like which is more important. Uh, and we kind of did – uh, a few things on that. I, earlier this season, I, I, I think it was the Jacksonville game. I said, like, this was an Andy Reid game because there was just receivers open and Mahomes was a little off. And then there was the Broncos win, which was that was a Patrick Mahomes game. Patrick Mahomes win because, you know, plays were breaking down and he was he was making plays off of them. So it kind of goes back and forth. I do think this Raiders game was a Patrick Mahomes game personally. Um, so, you know, it, I, I, I think it's close. Um Who's more important, like all of these guys or Patrick Mahomes? I think I'd say Mahomes. I think I'd say Mahomes is is more important. And obviously, going forward, he's he stays more important. That's not what we're discussing here. It's just more important to the 2018 Chiefs. You know, the four horsemen plus Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes over here. I'd, I'd say it's pretty even. I would lean Mahomes. The biggest thing for me is that like. All right. So don't get me wrong. Um, we see every single week guys make unbelievable plays and Patrick Mahomes is kind of at the top of the list. Um, he's the one that I, I think in many ways is allowing them to be able to make those plays. But I mean, there are a few guys in the NFL that could have made that catch that Kelsey made that was like over the defender, the long stretched out touchdown uh, what two weeks ago? Three three weeks ago? Last home Travis game. Kelsey, great in Week 14 against the Raiders. Yeah, need him to be great in big games. Reiterated right. from last week. Uh, I mean, he also had the fumble to start the game, so I just put that out there. Yeah. Um, at, I, at the same time, he's on pace for the most receiving yards in in tight end history. So that's that's, that's fun. fun. In, a, in a season, we were worried about is there enough balls to go around, and he's 
churning out the most prolific tight end season in NFL history. So that's that's it's worth noting. Yeah. Worth noting. I guess it's just like it seems like every single week you're seeing people like do these slow down highlighted shots like little videos and stuff on Twitter of Patrick Mahomes putting a ball in a place that you're like, wait, what? I mean, the the touchdown, I think it was the Demetrius Harris touchdown. He threw in the middle of like three different guys and Harris is running the opposite way that Mahomes is. And you're looking at this and you're like, what? Like that didn't even make sense that he was able to do that. And like, he does that to Kelsey. He does that to Tyreek. He does that to Sammy Watkins. He does that to the running backs. Like, it's it's not just that, oh, man, like, these guys are so good. It's like Mahomes is doing something every single week that he is uniquely capable of doing. And I just I just think that he's he is the one that makes this thing go. He's the one. He's, he's, he's the last Jedi. Um like, yeah, just a few of those. That the Harris perfect ex- explanation of that. I just seemed like there was no way it was going to be completed. Like you just see like two defenders crossing and, and just Demetrius Harris kind of falling down. It's just like okay, incomplete. On to the next one. So that was ridiculous. Uh, he had that one to Kelsey where he stretched, and that was a free play, and it, it was well done. He had the huge third down on the final drive where he draws the, his favorite play, acts like he's going to run, draws the defender up, and then just lofts it over him to Kelsey on a huge third down. And even the touchdown to ice it to Conley, Conley's wide open, but it's at least the third guy that Mahomes looks at on that play. Like it's just his ability to cycle through through his options uh, and on the biggest play of the game at that point, uh, just just incredible. And it's just it's his fourth is as bad as he. I don't want to say bad as erratic as he was for the first three quarters. Just coming up when it mattered most, it was it was just such a great performance. He's he's so great. We should be thankful for him every day. Um, let's get into some Chiefs uh, Ravens here. Uh, some interesting numbers. Um, an interesting game. Uh, first off, just Mahomes against the number one defense, and I would call him the number one defense. A lot of people might say the Bears, I guess, uh, but the Ravens stats here: number one in total yards, number two in pass defense, number three in rush defense, and number one in points. Uh, they only allowed 131 yards to the Falcons last week. Um, this is kind of a deep dive. I don't, I don't have my, uh, my guy next to me here, but all right, deep dive, a a little, a little different, different one this week. Uh, the Bengals and Panthers are the two teams to kind of have success on the Ravens this year. Each of them scored 30 plus. Um, I don't know what to really take away from that really. I mean, who did, sorry, give me those two teams. Bengals and Panthers. Bengals um, has got to just be like familiarity, and I think that was was that the day that AJ Green had like three touchdowns and a half. I don't know. That sounds right. It was super. Early. It was like week two or three or something uh, when the Bengals were rolling. They did play the Saints this year. Uh, an obvious comparison to the Chiefs. They held the Saints twenty four. The Saints beat them by a point. Um, so Tucker missed that kick at the end of the game. So before we get let's let's focus on Chiefs offense versus Ravens defense first. While I rattled off these stats. My, the question I'm going to ask is simple. Can any defense slow down Patrick Mahomes? Are you worried about Patrick Mahomes going against this defense and not being able to put up points? It'll be interesting to watch, uh, but do you think the Ravens have a chance of slowing him down, or is Mahomes just defense-proof and like he's just going to mow through anybody? Um, I, I said 
after the Rams game and in the last episode of Amateur Hour that if you're not scoring 30 points consistently, then I just don't think that you can hang with this team. And I don't have to look at the Ravens to know that they haven't been scoring 30 points consistently. Um, and and so to, to answer your question, yeah, like I think that Mahomes is a little bit of defense proof because, I mean, look, in, in the, the two worst offensive performances of the season – which came against the Denver Broncos and the Arizona Cardinals, the only two games that the Chiefs have scored under 30 points. Um, I mean, I would say that Arizona did some things defensively that the, maybe the Chiefs didn't anticipate, but it's all, essentially all that amounts to is Chandler Jones completely dominating Eric Fisher for an afternoon. Um, and, and I can't name all the guys on Baltimore's defense. I know that Sizzle is still out there, but like I just I don't think that there is like a world beater on Baltimore's defense that's going me, to take over the game. Let me just say real quick, I got these stats up. It looks like Terrell Suggs, six and a half sacks, Zadarius Smith, six and a half sacks. He's listed as a defensive tackle slash linebacker, so that's fun. Um, and then something named Matt Judon has six sacks, but they got they got a whole bunch of sacks spread across the team, pretty much. But like Terrell Suggs is still the number one guy, and he's 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 a guy that can show up in a game like this. Just he's he's old, so he's I think he kind of has to pick his spots at this point. But he is the kind of guy that I could see giving you know either Fisher or Schwartz some trouble, and I would guess they'll line him up on Fisher. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, like what it seems like the strength of that defense is, is that they have like they have a player that they really like and that I think like most of the league really respects at every position. Because you can say that it's Terrell Suggs, but you've got CJ Mosley, you've got Jimmy Smith, you've got Eric Weddle, you know, but they 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 also have the other was it Jefferson is their other safety and everybody seems to think that he's good. Yeah. My my actual boy on the Ravens defense is Scrappy Doo, Tavon Young, who I uh, really wanted the Chiefs to draft and has had himself a nice little career. Kid out of Temple, um, and and continues yeah, to play. Well, I think continues to play very well for the Ravens defense. Um, and and but I mean to be honest, man, like I I just. I, I'm not I'm not scared. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the Ravens' defense might be able to slow the Chiefs down a little bit, but like, what does that mean? Um, I, I would say that like, if there is a team that their style of play on offense and defense um, like has an opportunity to beat the Chiefs, um, specifically the way that they've been playing with Lamar Jackson, like it's Baltimore. I mean, I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you as much. Like. As much as Baltimore runs the ball, I still don't think that this is a Reggie Ragland game. Like Reggie Ragland didn't play against the Rams because they were and, and Bob Sutton explained that it was because they they play three wide receivers the entire game. And so it wasn't necessary to have Ragland out there. And then he mentioned that they also go fast, and Ragland isn't the type of guy that you want to keep on the field for, you know, 10 plays at a time because you can't sub in the middle of that. Well, the Ravens aren't necessarily doing any of that, but like Reggie Ragland is not going to get anywhere near Lamar Jackson. Like this is it's Dorian O'Daniel written all over it. 
And that's where I think that if Eric Berry plays, um, could be really important. But it'll also be interesting to see, like, kind of where his his stamina is at, where his uh, his conditioning is, I guess, because chasing Lamar Jackson all over the field, sideline to sideline, is going to tire pretty much anybody out. Yeah, so uh, I want to talk about their style of play, definitely. Uh, I think the only Rag- Reggie Ragland game that might be left on the schedule is that Week 17 game when we're playing our backups, hopefully. Um, but yeah, definitely don't want him don't want him chasing Lamar Jackson, but I don't know exactly who I want chasing Lamar Jackson around. Okay, so some stats on your, your theory that you're going to have to score 30 to beat the Chiefs. This would definitely be the game uh, where that wouldn't be true. So it'll be an interesting test to that theory. Um, so the Ravens, since inserting Lamar Jackson into the lineup, they're 3-0. They're averaging 239 rushing yards a game since inserting him into the lineup. Uh, and he, Lamar himself is averaging 88 per game. Um, their most their most running yards in a game before Lamar took over was 123. So since Lamar took over, they beat their season best by 100-plus yards uh, per average. Um, so they want to run the fucking ball. Uh, and that's, that's kind of obvious. I mean, Lamar, uh, not, his passing stats are not to be desired right now. So you know what they want to do. Uh, their time of possession in these games... 38 minutes, 34 minutes, and 40 minutes. So what they want to do is obvious. They want to run the ball, and they want to control the clock, and they want to lean on their defense. Like, it's not going to be any secret what they want to do on Sunday, and then, you know, hopefully they they pop a big pass on a play action or something. Like, that's that's going to be their style. They're going to try and keep it low scoring. Um, and this style, there's not many teams playing it in the NFL anymore, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays. Um, and but also worth noting that this style only works if they get a lead or if they stay in this game. If, if Mahomes comes out and throws two touchdowns, uh, you know, in the, in the first quarter and they get, and the chiefs get up 14, Oh, the Ravens could be in all sorts of trouble. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this style plays out again, 239 rushing yards per game since Lamar took over. And it's, and it's a lot of it's just Lamar running. Yes. But, a lot of it is running these, you know, read options where the threat of Lamar Jackson opens shit up for their their new running back, Gus, uh, the the one the one named man, just Gus toting the rock back there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out uh, on Sunday. I think it's it's a really interesting game. Yeah, it's interesting. I see that uh, Gus Edwards is averaging five yards a carry and Alex Collins and Buck Allen, who were the running backs, I guess, before this, this Gus guy, they were uh, combined averaging about three yards a carry. Um, And so much of it has to do with Lamar Jackson. I mean, here's the crazy thing that I don't know if people are, are really thinking about here. Um, Lamar Jackson is only averaging five yards a carry on the season now he ran like 26 times or something in his first game to me it was insane so i mean it's it's not just holy crap like look at the escapability and this guy is breaking these big long runs i mean his longest run of the season um which is i mean it's kind of short because it's basically a three-game sample but he has a 39 yarder like mahomes had a 30 something yarder against the raiders on sunday you know, this isn't 
I think about Lamar Jackson as this dude that's just like absolutely electric, but he's going to take it from you five yards at a time. And just it's about his ability to get to the edge. I mean, people have made jokes about them, like kind of running the wishbone, but I doubt it's that it's probably just a lot of the zone read type of stuff that the chiefs do. And as, as often as he ends up running to the edge and having a pitch man, Lamar Jackson just ends up keeping it a lot. Um, I, I mean, the biggest way, I think, for the Chiefs to try to combat that um, is, is whether or not they can hold up on the edges. And that means, honestly, to me, I think it's, it's more about D4 than it is about Justin Houston. I don't know a whole lot about the Ravens offensive line, but I'm pretty sure that both of their tackles are high first round picks. One of them is that Ronnie Stanley guy, but I can't remember who the other one is. Um, But I mean, I I think that in, in terms of like what the defense can try to do against that, I mean, I don't know like what the answer is, right? Because it's it's pretty unconventional. I think that maybe, um, and I don't even know if this is if this is a like a an accurate um, comparison, but like maybe the closest thing that we have seen to what the Ravens are doing right now is Harbaugh and Kaepernick together in San Francisco when he was like first getting out there. Because Kaepernick was, I mean, he's such a long strider, but it was like. He made guys miss in the open field. He wasn't afraid to hang on to the ball. And they didn't really have him throw it that much, like that kind of first stretch of him being on the field. And it seems like they're opening things up for Lamar a little bit more and letting him throw. Because what's what's really weird, I was looking at, and this was mainly just based in, in looking at guys for daily fantasy, but like I'm a big John Brown fan and – when he went to Baltimore, I was like, okay, so Flacco's got a deep threat again. And John Brown was fantastic to start the season. And then he's kind of trailed off a little bit. And I was wondering, like, okay, so is this Lamar just not throwing the ball? And he just hasn't been able to connect with John Brown yet. Because before this week, when I was looking at it, I think two weeks ago, John Brown was targeted like seven or eight times in the game. And that means that Lamar is chucking the ball downfield. Like, that's what John Brown does. So, I mean, they're they're not just running, but I certainly think that this is a little bit more of a – it is a new wave version of it, but, like, it's a pretty classic, we're going to run to set up the pass, and it's going to be play action, and we're going to try to chuck it deep on you. And the Chiefs defense is pretty susceptible to getting beat over the top like that. And – to be honest, I think that the the number one thing that they can try to do is like not run single high, even though the the Ravens are going to be running the ball a lot. But they're just going to have to try to be really disciplined and really patient on defense. And hopefully, as we've seen from Bob Sutton defenses in the past, that you end up outlasting the offense and they make mistakes. Lamar Jackson is a rookie. And he's not a great passer yet. So, I mean, I think that you just kind of have to try to keep things in front of you and not not allow yourself to get too far sucked up field for, against the run and just, you know, just just try to, once they get inside, the, like let them move between the 20s and get in the red zone, you know, try to shut them down. Yeah, and, and uh, we'll get out of here on this. This is pretty much the last I got, but uh, it will be interesting uh, 
first off, I, I mean, can we stop them from running once they get inside the 20 is, is kind of my fear. Like give them, give them four downs to get 10 yards. Can, can we even slow them down at that point? So I'm a little worried about that. Uh, but it will be interesting to see the Chiefs' defensive strategies because I think they've been happy to let teams run the ball at, you know, five, six yards to clip. And, you know, you're not going to stick with it and we're going to score more points. Well, the Ravens are the team most likely that they're going to stick with that running game, you know, through the entire game. Like that's what they want to do. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how aggressive the chiefs get in trying to stop the run. Like, do they, do they bring an extra guy? Do they sell themselves to try and stop the run or do they continue with their bend, but don't break when it comes to the um, running game and just let the other team run? Cause it, it could be trouble. I mean, if you don't want to get down in this game and then just let the Ravens control this clock. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're hoping Mahomes can pull it out at the end kind of thing. So um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a tad bit worried about the game. Um, I would like to, I'm, I'm interested to see how Mahomes does against the number one defense in the NFL, see if he can just do this against anybody. Can anybody slow him down and then see if this chiefs run defense, which has been abysmal, can they step up against what is now probably the best running team in the NFL, you know, Seahawks and Broncos both lead the NFL right now, but, uh, the rushing yards they're putting up with Lamar and Gus, uh, they've kind of separated themselves at this point, putting up two two thirty nine per game since the, since he took over. So interesting game on Sunday. I did see uh, shortly before we got on today that <clears throat> Brandon Kylie sent out a tweet about how the Chiefs in the offseason like, added Anthony Hitchens and Speaks and O'Daniel and Derek Nottie and Xavier Williams, like added all these guys to the front seven. And they were like last in the league against the run last year and somehow are statistically worse against the run this year, despite the fact that we were already last last season, Um, which just means that they're basically probably giving up more yards per carry and yards per game than what they were doing last year. Um, So here's, here's the big thing. Um, As we have seen every single week, what it's going to boil down to with the Ravens. um, You said like, you know, they're going to be perfectly happy to stay patient and, and run the football. And I would think that that is probably the case because it's like they know that that's the best thing that they do, right? But um, how much pressure can the offense put on them? I mean, if if the Ravens – I mean, I could very much – like I could easily see this being similar to um, – I don't know. I'll, I'll point to like the Titans playoff game or something – um, where the Chiefs get out to a lead and you put pressure on them and then slowly but surely the defense adjusts and slows us down and and they can creep back into the game. Because I want to feel perfectly comfortable if the Chiefs go up 14-0 in the first quarter, but like that that ain't John Harbaugh and and this Ravens team. They know like what butters their biscuits and it's running the football and that's pretty much what they got. Like you know, you you remember in in knocked up when they're they're at the club and he's like, I think he's doing the dice thing too much. And he's like, that's pretty much all he's got. Like that's that's the Ravens running the ball is they're doing the dice thing. Like that's that's all they got. That's what I they think got. they're doing the gust thing too much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, totally different. Totally with you. Uh, the difference would be Mahomes will put up points in the second half, whereas Alex Smith didn't. Right. Uh, so that's why right. I think I would feel much more confident this time around with with a big lead like that, just because I think the offense would uh, keep scoring 
Whereas, but I think that's a that's a good comparison to the Titans game because that's that's a team that would stick with the run. There's there's only a handful of them in the league anymore, but uh, the Ravens are definitely one. And if anybody's going to throw a touchdown to themselves, it's Lamar Jackson. I oh guess. boy, oh boy. Well, get it out, get it out of the get it out of the system now. Just we'll, we'll take that now. Just not <laughs> not fool. I I forget sometimes that that happened and. And Mellinger put it so well when he was talking about the Chiefs in an article within the past few weeks where it was like, you know, that the Chiefs are a team that lost a playoff game where a quarterback threw a touchdown to himself. And that's not what people remember about it. Like they they remember the forward progress from that game because there's so many stupid things that happen to the Chiefs in the playoffs that like Mariota throwing a touchdown to himself pretty low bar compared to the other things that happen um all right let's we've we've done enough we have done our work we have done our jobs sing us Um, out folks uh the chiefs play two games in the next eight days you better saddle up partners because it is uh it's a pretty important time for the 2018 kansas city chiefs and patrick mahomes who we love and cherish um in and this has been amateur hour and i'm ryan scott hall and he's his darkness and this is chance the rapper it's officially december it's christmas music time even if it's uh christmas rap music it's christmas rap it's rap rapsmas i'm gonna go rap some presents dirk somebody <laughs> cut off his mic <laughs> he's still talking i'm a little squirrely it's high you kind of went you kind of went Ryan Scott Holtus there. Uh, oh, if that's, a, if that's a character we can create, Ryan Scott Holtus. Game, game. I'm Patrick Mahomes from the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> um, I do, I do want to give everybody a heads up. Um, and and Dirk, you're invited if you can make it. Um, I am going to most likely be in studio with Joshua Briscoe. On Thursday for the 5 p.m. out, talking about your Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I know that that our schedules sometimes don't align, but I'm hopefully going to have all my finals done. I'm going to be officially in like Christmas vacation mode, and I'm going to kick my feet up in that ESPN Kansas City studio. I'd love to have you there, Turkey. I'll see if I can clear up my uh, very unbusy schedule. All right. <laughs> Look forward to that. Um, and we out. <laughs>